Good morning and greetings to each of you in the Master's name this morning. Well, I hope you're ready to dive back into the book of Romans this morning. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. It's good to see the church so well filled this morning. And I want to welcome each of you to our service. And most of all, I want to welcome and call out for the Spirit of God to be here this morning and to teach us. John practically preached my sermon in the Sunday school class this morning. But you know, I was thinking as I was sitting there and heard what Wesley just said and was thinking about our Sunday school class, and I was thinking about how simple the gospel really is. The gospel is really very, very simple. So simple that a child can understand it. I need to die so that I can live. A young person, someone with little education can find, can understand that. And John asked us a lot of good questions this morning. And, you know, John's an educated man. And John, do you find the gospel, though, even though it's so simple, do you find it to be intellectually satisfying as well? But, but spiritually satisfying, but you, you can find satisfaction in, in pursuing depth in the gospel. And so there's depth to be found in the gospel as well with its simplicity. And in that same vein, I feel ourselves going through this study of Romans too fast and too slow. Too fast to completely join it with all of the whole biblical narrative. And too slow. Um, and well, just on a... One example of being too fast in verses 19 to 21, which are the passage is the passage leading up to this uh, to this passage. We see God, or we see a message that's connected everything from the creation to up through the Old Testament. But I also feel it's going too slow because there's a thread of logical argument that moves through this book that if you're not moving along at a decent amount of time, it's hard to pull those things together. And so throughout this week, I've been listening to Romans chapter 3, 4, and 5. And it's just been like, oh yeah, he just talk, was just talking about that a chapter ago. Well, we won't get there for a month and a half to actually look at that. And so, but I hope that somewhere in this too fast and too slow pace, we can find and learn and grow. And I'll just say this, that 
it, it has been good for me as I've been going through this. I don't know if you have a Bible app, audio Bible option, but to listen through uh, this book and to get the bigger picture uh, is a very good way to connect some of those things. And then you can pick out something and you can slow down and you can expand your search into the Scriptures. We're going to be going slower this morning. I only gave you 10 verses, I think, chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. But we're at a place, this is a very condensed um, group of verses here, and especially verses 19 to 26. But God has brought us to a place, He has set a table, or in this, in this book, He's set the table, or He's brought us to the table that we have set, in a sense. The, the life that we have, that we are able to come to on our own, up to this point, up to, to verse 20. And we find that table, we, He's shown us our place at that table, and we're sitting at that table, and we look what's on the table, and on the table, there's destruction and misery. Destruction and misery are in His ways, and the way of peace have they not known. And, and we have set that table. We have participated in setting that table, and we have a place at that table, and God's brought us to that place. And He says at the beginning of verse 21, but now, but now. We're at that place at the table, but now. But I don't want to go there quite yet. I want us to go back a little bit into this cycle of human regression. So I've drawn up here part of the illustration that I used in the first chapter of Romans that shows a cycle of human behavior, a cycle of human regression when they're apart from God. It begins with unbelief. And unbelief leads to sin or disobedience. Disobedience and sin lead to death. Death leads to increased blindness. And blindness leads to more unbelief. And so that's a cycle that progressively takes us downward away from God who is above us. And we see that cycle in verse 16, destruction and misery in their way. <clears throat> so we would... See, in front, of, in front of us here, the unbeliever, destruction and misery. That's the direction we're moving. Verse 11, there is none that seeketh after God. When you're in this cycle, you're looking away from God. You're, you're going away from Him and, and humans are, are forward focused. They're forward sighted. And that's not only true in the physical, it's also true in the spiritual. The way that we are turned is the way that we are looking. And so John brought up the idea of the serpent on the pole. The, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. They were getting bites from poisonous serpents. And the serpents were, were, they were dying from these poisonous bites and they cried out for help. And, and Moses set up this serpent on a pole. And they were to look on that serpent. And when they looked at that serpent, when they looked at that serpent on the pole, they were healed from that bite. And Jesus used that as a comparison. He said, even as the Son of Man is lifted up. 
that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so you have the idea that when we focus on Him, when our eyes are turned to Him, and Troy led that song so fitting, fix your eyes upon Jesus. We're, we're, we're focused, we're forward focused. And when this is our life cycle, we are forward focused away from God. There is none that seeketh after God. The way of peace have they not known. This is the way of destruction and misery. We haven't known the way of peace. We haven't gone in the way, in the right way to know the way of peace. So what happened? The law was introduced and it pointed out something in our lives. So you can see that. Let me find my place here. Now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so God introduced the law and he said, by the law, or in, in the law, he pointed out to us that there is sin present in the world. There's sin present in your life. And the law points out sin. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The end of, end of verse 15. I mean, sorry, verse 20. And so is that saying then, and so Israel thought, Israel thought if we can do these deeds, if we can keep these if we can keep what this says, if we can keep this law, then we'll fix this problem. But Paul says, no, you can't fix that problem. And there's something in here that we need to notice. It's at the end of verse 19. That every mouth may be stopped and that the world may become guilty before God. Now, when you feel guilty, you don't just feel guilty because you did the wrong thing. You also feel guilty because... You're the kind of person who would do the wrong thing. So within you, you realize, you recognize when somebody does something wrong, that's who you associate that, that's what you associate that person with. That they, that's the kind of person that they are. So what you're saying is they're not just the person that does, they don't just do the wrong thing, but there's something inside of them that is, that is wrong. There's something wrong about them. So guilt is an indicator that there's something wrong within us. And so the law brought the knowledge of sin and it convicted us of who we are within. So sin is the indicator, external indicator, but there's something wrong inside of us. And so simply correcting the action or the doing, the deeds of the law, does not resolve the issue inside it does not resolve who we are, the problem that we have, because it's what is within us that's driving this cycle. So this cycle is turning because there's something inside of us that's saying that is unbelieving. And unbelief leads to sin. And so simply trying to correct this doesn't fix the core issues the issues that we have inside. Romans 3, verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, by what the law says to do, by the deeds of the law, 
There shall no flesh be justified, and that word justified means to be made right. So there's by the by the by doing the acts of the law, no one will be made right in the sight of God. Now let's compare that to what that to what Jesus said. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So we were talking this morning about what was necessary to enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and Pharisees, notice it doesn't say the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it says the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees were intensely interested in fulfilling or living out the commands of the law. That was the focus of the pharisaical sect was to live out the commands of the law. And they had made this whole list of commands. You can do this and you can't do this and you can only walk this many steps on Sunday and all these different things that were to fulfill, to try to do the deeds of the law. And Jesus said, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So why do we need to be born again? It's because we have something wrong inside. There's something wrong with who we are that has to be corrected. So what does the New Testament say about who the believer is within? Now men, you ought to have at least one answer for this because we had it. John gave us this answer in Sunday school. Okay? But we need the new birth, but what's what I'm asking is, what does it say about the unbeliever? What does it say about who he is? He's dead. Thank you. I'm going to have to write these down below probably. And we'll draw an error up into the center. Okay, anything else? John, you can go back to that passage in Ephesians 2 and you can get some other things. You have he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. Oh, I might have to go there. I thought I was going to be able to quote it. The flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath. So what, what is within you? It's your nature. By nature, children of wrath. Anything else? We're also children of disobedience. We're blind, right? We can't see. We're talking about unbelief here. There's one more that I have. Maybe you have another one. This one's in Romans 8. They're in the flesh. Okay? So I'm not going to try to explain that one yet. Because that's in Romans 8. All that is what we are within. That's the description of the person of the unbeliever. And we all had our, that's that among whom we all had our conversation in times past, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. That is who we are within as unbelievers. And that is why we need to be born again.
But there's something that I want to connect this to, and it's to our created purpose. Because I think this is, is critical for moving forward into the next section of this book. There's two issues that we have. And one of them isn't brought up so much here in this passage as it is in Proverbs 21.4 where it says, A high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. What's wrong with plowing? And it's means, the, the word there means tilling soil. Well, have you ever heard about breaking new ground? Have you ever heard of that metaphor? Like it's, it's the thing that you're doing. It's the, it's the way that you're progressing. It's the progress that you're making. And high look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Is there anything wrong with progress? What kind? What kind of progress? That's a good question. But there's something actually deeper than that that we need to consider. And that is where the progress is coming from. And so we're talking about the person who's described like this, the high look, the proud heart, and the things that he does, even the things that are maybe not particularly good or bad. The plowing of the wicked is sin. There's this sense in which that there is no way for them to be right before God, even in the things that are good. So, they're unbelieving people who do good things, right? The question is, why do they do those things? And then we have to go back to what's within, okay? But, what are we seeking to be justified in? Are we seeking to be justified in what man thinks is good? Or are we seeking to be justified in what God thinks is good? You see, because even the doing of the good deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Just keep that in your mind. There we go. Okay. Which brings up the next, the next point, which is here in this passage just before this, glorifying God through sin still leaves me judged a sinner. So, earlier in this passage, it says that if I glorify God through my lie, why yet am I still judged as a sinner? So we often say, oh, here, here in Romans 7, uh, 3, 7, For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto His glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And so, we need to go back to our created purpose we need to bring glory. We need to understand what it means to bring glory to God and how we were created to bring glory to God. And then out of that, understand what, what matters about this and why it needs why it so desperately needs to be changed. I think we can do it with three verses from the book of Genesis. One in chapter one, two in chapter two. Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. We were created to be in the image of God. We're created to be like him. Now what all does that mean? Well, we're not going to particularly try to explain all of that, 
in this sense. But just we must understand that we were created to be something in small, as A.W. Tozer says, what God is in large. And so we were created to be in His image. That's what He created us to be. And so that's referring to our purpose as created beings. Genesis 2.7, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, physical body, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And so in God-infused, with God-infused life, man became living both in body and inner being. So a physical, but also an inner being. And man became a living soul. And here in another chapter and a half, we'll be talking about the first and the second Adam. And the first Adam became a living soul, and the second Adam, a life-giving spirit. But we'll get to that later. The point that I want us to get, the, the main point I want us to get from this particular verse is the fact that we are intended to carry the life of God in us. God meant for us to have His life within us. That's how He created us. And until we have His life within us, we cannot glorify Him because we were created for that purpose. Genesis 2, 7. Oh, sorry, 17. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Did they die that day? I'm hearing a lot of yes here, but some no. Okay, go ahead. Okay. They died spiritually. Spiritually. They said, no way, I don't want to have a relationship with you. Goodbye. But, Mm-hmm. So let's consider the fact that their body did not die, but the life of God that was in them that was the glorifying image of Him, that produced the glorifying image of Him, was no longer there. And so their life was no longer centered around His life. So what's left for His life to be centered around? If the life of God is not there for it to be centered around, what's left? What's still alive? The flesh. But the flesh represents what? The physical existence, right? That word there in the Greek is literally meat like the, the meat that covers your skeleton, the part of you that has blood coursing through it and keeps you, your body functioning, keeps you functioning. That's what that term flesh means. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. 
Our physical existence cannot be justified by doing the right thing. Why? Verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because all have sinned, then all are under the law of sin and death, which is, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And that leaves us with two really big problems. One of them is that we have sinned. And because we have sinned, we have chosen to take a place separate from God. And because we carry that mark of sin, we cannot be right with Him because He has no sin. And He cannot sin. And He cannot dwell with sin. And so we have a really big problem that we can do nothing about in the fact that we have sinned. And not only that, but we are ineligible or unable or don't have the capacity to carry His life because of that. And so our created purpose is to carry His life, but we can't do it because we've sinned and that has made us ineligible for His life. And the problem is not just that we're doing the wrong thing, it's that the center of what our life is centered around is the wrong thing. It's centered around our physical existence. And that's the only existence that we really have to focus on unless God does something. Verse 21. But now, and he begins his argument for the answer to our problem. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So this righteousness of God without the law being manifest, the first thing that we have to be able to see is the image of God. We have to be able to see who He is. And it's saying that the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. So manifested means made known or made apparent. It's being witnessed by the law It was spoken to by the law and the prophets. The Old Testament Scriptures gave testimony of the righteousness of God that was going to be revealed, was going to be manifested. John 5.39, this is Jesus speaking to the scribes and Pharisees. Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. But, oh sorry, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. So note the issue here. Jesus, well, we'll we'll come back to to the other issue. Let's look at the first thing first. Jesus was saying to the scribes and Pharisees, you need to look into the, the scriptures because in those Old Testament scriptures is a message of me. And I am there. I am within those pages. And that's where you need to to look to find me. But then he says, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. The issue Jesus points out here is not their sin problem. 
He points out the issue that they don't have life. Now, the sin problem is keeping us from life in this state. But the real problem that we have here is that we are dead. And we're going to start moving from where we are in the passage where we're we're looking at this condition. We're going to start moving through the next two chapters to a place that addresses the issue of life. But Jesus is saying that coming to Him is the way of life. What's the sign say? He's the only way to God. So let's think about righteousness. Oh, sorry. Verse 22. We were on verse 21. The righteousness of God without the law is manifest. Verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So this righteousness, what does righteousness mean? Well, righteousness means to be right or to be what we ought to be. And in this condition, we cannot be righteous because we are not what we were created to be. So the whole world lieth in wickedness. Why? Because they're not what they were created to be. And Jesus is saying, coming to me, in this passage to the scribes and Pharisees, he's saying, coming to me is the way for you to be right, for you to have life. Now, there's a lot of accusations in our world today that God is not righteous. And those accusations largely center around the issue of pain. So God created a world, this is the argument, God created a world where suffering is possible, and even though He's all-powerful, He doesn't stop that suffering. And so He can't be good. He can't be righteous. He can't be what he ought to be because he doesn't stop that suffering. But through coming to Jesus, through belief in Jesus, as the image of God, of who God is, we get the answer to that question. Because in Christ, yes, God created a world where suffering is possible. But it was only possible through the sin of man. Because God could not sin. And so the only way for suffering to come into the world was through the table that we set at the beginning. Through our sin. Through the sin of humanity is where suffering has come from. And yet, Jesus, God, in Christ, in Jesus, suffered not because He did wrong, but because we did. So He created a world where suffering was possible through the sin of man and then was willing to take on that suffering on Himself to redeem what we had done. John read this verse in Sunday school class this morning. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and quickened by the Spirit. If you all could share the special singing now, that'd be good.
For a drink from some clear spring That I hoped would quench the burning Of the thirst I felt within Alleluia, I have found him Whom my soul so long has craved Jesus satisfies my longings, through his blood I now am saved. Feeding on the husk around me, till my strength was almost gone. Long my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Alleluia, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longing, through his blood I now am saved. For I and sought for riches, something that would satisfy. But the dust I gathered round me only marked my soul's sad cry. Alleluia, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings, through his blood I now am saved. Well of water ever springing, bread of life so rich and free, untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. Alleluia, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings, through his blood I now am saved. A well of water for my thirst. Bread of life for my hunger. Wealth for my poverty. Joy for my road of destruction and misery. Life and joy for that road. The righteousness of God unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. There's no difference, Jew or Gentile is what he's referring to. There's no difference between them. The righteousness of God unto all and upon all, them that believe. Unto all means toward, or it's available. And upon all means that it can become our position, or it is our position in Christ. 
through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God is available and is our position. I want to add a little bit to my drawing here. So we have God up here. And He is unquestioningly above us. How is God described? Okay. Yeah. That's good. But what I'm looking for is the way that God describes Himself, like the words that He uses to describe Himself. Righteous. I'm not forgetting jealous. It's here, it's here under love. Because it's part of it's part of God's desire for us to come and be his for him to be our only one. So it's like a husband love. Righteous, holy, just, good, eternal. Okay, thank you. All-knowing, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, these characteristics are who God is. There is righteousness. And we know that we especially as unbelievers, as humanity, are on this downward course. And instead of taking us to God, it's taking us away from God. So what separates us from God? What's this gap between where we are and where God is? Sin. Sin. That's right. Because all unrighteousness is sin. And so in falling short of being what God is, is or what he desires for us, what he created us to be, we are unrighteous and sin is in that gap. How can this gap be overcome? How can this gap of sin be overcome? Faith in Jesus. That's good. Righteousness, but how are we going to get it, Lee? Okay, but we just said, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, we just said, You can't become righteous simply by trying to fix what you're doing. Right? So you're saying that God had to send something. Let's read on. Being justified, being made right. Now, that word justified, it means being made right, but it also means giving appropriate value to. So consider this. When someone does something and you just or when you do something and somebody questions you about it and you try to justify yourself, what you're doing is you're trying to give what you did enough value that they'll be okay with it. And so that's what I mean by being justified means to be given the appropriate value. So when we are justified before God, we're made right in His sight, but we're also given appropriate value. 
for who we are. So that's what it means to be justified. Being justified freely by His grace. So we have grace that is extended down to us. Wait a minute. I put that at the wrong. So in this condition, Jesus, I mean God, extends to us grace. Now grace is a very broad term. And we sometimes want to characterize and define grace as something fairly narrow. I want to caution you to do that because grace is used pretty broadly in the Scriptures. But grace, in essence, is a term that points to God desiring and favoring us even though we are not worthy of that. But it also includes what God has given to us as a result of that favor. And so what God's given to us as a result of that favor goes beyond simply the fact that God favors us. There's an expectation that God has when we are justified before Him. He has an expectation that our life will bear His image. And He gives us, as part of His grace, the power to live that life. And so grace is both the favor of God, but it's also the power of God coming to us. And so it extends beyond a simplistic idea that grace is simply the favor of God poured out on us undeservingly, even though that's part of it. Does that make sense? So it comes freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So grace comes through. And the word there for through means a channel or an act. And so through the redemption of Christ, the redemption of Christ is a channel for God through which God can act in our lives. So through the grace comes, and that grace comes as redemption in Jesus Christ. And so the person who would be changed from this condition can only be changed through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. That's the only channel that we have to change the problem that we have within. Whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So God sent Jesus to be a propitiation. And that word there, propitiation, means it has to do with appeasing, it has to do with sacrifice, it has to do with making amends. It also says that this, so this is one thing that I forgot when I was preparing, but we're also the enemy of God in this condition, right? So we're the enemy of God when we're the friend of the world, when we follow this way. And so there's this, this propitiation is the idea of, of what is needed for that relationship to be restored with God or for the rightness to be restored with God. It also has to do with extinguishing guilt, which comes through kind of the term of expiation. So he is the channel for propitiation through faith in his blood. So what Jesus did on the cross, dying for us, is a demonstration of God's willingness to forgive us of our sins. It's an expression of love for us 
showing how willing and how ready He is to forgive our sins. God in Christ took on the suffering necessary to take care of our sin problem so that we could be justified before God. And it declares that He is as He should be to declare His righteousness. God did that to to declare to the world that He was righteous, that He was as He should be. To declare, I say, at this time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. That He might be just. So His justice comes out in this in the sense that yes, He created a world where sin was possible. And sin had to be dealt with. Sin has a consequence. It has a cost. The wages of sin is death. And God was willing to die for our sin. So He was willing to accept the consequence that was meted out for death. I mean for sin, which was death. And in accepting that, in that display of love and sacrifice, He made a way for us to be justified. So not only is He just, but He's also the justifier. He became the justifier, which means that He makes us just through Him, through the sacrifice of Jesus. Now I want to touch on this word believe, and I know I go over this word believe fairly often. But belief is more... uh, Wait a minute. Let me back up and finish that. The justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. So the person who believes in Jesus as the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. And the person who believes that Jesus is the image of God has their eyes now set on the image of God. And so they can now see Him for who He is. And they can receive redemption. And they can also receive life. But belief is more than acknowledgement of the facts. It extends to conviction that changes how we live. And so belief is something that is a conviction within you that affects what you do, affects how you live. And so this word believe here, believeth, is the same word that's also translated faith. And pretty much across the board, all the way through the book of Romans, if it's the word believe or it's the word faith, it's the same word, sometimes in a little bit different form. But to say to believe is also to say to have faith. So when we say we put our faith in Jesus, that means we believe enough that there's the conviction enough that we follow Him. And then Paul says, where is boasting then in verse 27? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. So there's nothing to boast about. If the, if the opportunity for redemption has come from God, there is absolutely nothing that we have to boast about. It wasn't anything we've already proved. There was nothing we could do to fix the problem that we had. The only way that it could be fixed was from God. And therefore, there is nothing for us to boast about. We have nothing to have personal pride in. It is through 
the blood of Jesus Christ that we are made right with God, that we can say that we are right with Him, that we can be right with Him. Is it by the law of works? Well, the law of works is that what you labor for, you get paid for. And so we're not being changed because of what we worked for. So it's not by that law. Paul says, no, it's by the law of faith. And the law of faith is that there's trust or dependence on another person's work, on someone else's work. So it can't be by works. It can only be by faith because it has been the work of God that has made salvation possible for us. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So justification does not come by changing what we do. It comes by meeting God and being changed by Him. And that's not talking about faith and works. It's not talking about faith plus works. It's talking about faith that works. And there's a difference between those. And we need to understand and live the difference between those. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. It's one God that created all the races of men. And he's the God of all. Seeing it as one God who shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. In Christ, every race of man has the opportunity to come to God and to experience salvation. Every human being on this planet, the creator, the sustainer of both Jews and Gentiles has through Jesus provided the answer to the gulf between us and God, the gulf of sin. And the channel is by faith in Jesus Christ for all of us. Now I'll just say this in conclusion. What I've found is that many people want to stop in their theology right there. They want to stop and say, God has done everything. And that's the end of the story. But the book of Romans is not over yet. May God help us to live the Christian life in a meaningful way.